theyeshiva.net. like to introduce our keynote speaker who people were asking me how are you going to introduce him a lot of people came over to me and said they want to hear him I said let me tell you something you don't want to hear him you want to see him because his essence is much greater anything that comes out of his mouth is because of his panemius because who he is and he's mashpian people 24-7, wherever they are, whatever walks of life, unconditionally. And that's why we're here. The mechazek ourselves before Rosh Hashanah. Thank you. Great cover to introduce Rabbi Jacobson. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you, Rani. A good geben to one and all. The Gemara in Mesechta Yuma tells a very enigmatic and apparently perplexing story. Tonu Rabbonon, the Gemara says in Yuma Lamates. Tonu Rabbonon. The rabbis taught Maisa, there was a story with Shimon HaTzadik. Shimon HaTzadik was the Kohen Gadol, in the second Beis Hamikdash, in the first period of the second Beis Hamikdash, as the Mishnah says in Perkei he was Mishyari Knesset Agdoila, from the last remnants of the 120 Anshe Knesset Agdoila, who created the renaissance of the Jewish people with the first era of the second Beis Hamikdash. And he served as a Kohen Gadol for four decades. One year, he came out from the Kodesh HaKadoshim on Yom Kippur. And he told his Talmidim, he told his students, that this year I'm going to die. So they said, Rebbe, why do you say this? So he responded and he said, each year when I go in to the Holy of Holies on the day of Yom Kippur, I always see an old man dressed in white. He walks in with me, and he exits with me. This year, I went into the Kodesh HaKadoshim, and I saw that this old man was completely dressed in black, bedecked and covered from head to toe in shchirim and black. Went in with me, went out with me. So I know that this is my final year on this world. Zagdi Gemara, Sukkis came by, Sukkis were passed, and Shimon HaTzadik Nafal Amishkov, he fell ill, and a week later, he returned his soul to its maker. That's the end of the story in Masech Yuma. I ask you today, how do we understand this? First of all, what does it mean that when he went into Kodesh HaKadoshim, he saw somebody dressed in white? Who is this dressed in white? The Pasuk says about Yom Kippur in Parshish Achenah, No man should be there when the Kohen Gadol goes in. So the Yerushalmi says in Yuma, Even the angels, about whom the Cheskel calls them Pnei Adam in his Merkava vision, in the beginning of Sefer Yecheskel, even they shouldn't be there. Suddenly, in the Holy of Holies, the Gemara says, there's a man and he's dressed up and he's old and he's white and he's black. What happened to Lo'yilcha Kal Pesel There's no image, there's no statue, there's no... Who's there in the Kodesh HaKadosh? And what's the idea that every year he was white, suddenly he's black, and therefore he knows he's going to die that year? I want to change the subject for a moment, please. 
So those who are ADD, we're already off subject, don't worry. We go to the next subject. <laughs> and probably a disproportionate amount of people who are attracted to your organization are... Uh, they say, what's the Rosh Tevis of ADHD? You know the Rosh Tevis? Attention deficit. Hey, donuts. Okay. So we'll go to topic number two. Okay. <laughs> A few days going to be Rosh Hashanah. And as the Mishnah says, mitzvahs hayoyim b'shoifer. The crown jewel of Rosh Hashanah is the listening, the blowing of the shoifer. But when one studies the rhythm of Tkiyah's shoifer, one cannot help but being perplexed. Who came up with these sounds of Tkiyah, Shvarim, Tkiyah, Tkiyah, Trua, Tkiyah, Tkiyah, Shvarim, Trua, Tkiyah. So the Gemara says in Masechta Rosh Hashanah, Daflamet Gimel, Amr Abaye, Abaye explains... That the Pasuk actually says about Rosh Hashanah, the first day of Tishrei, Parshas Emer, Yoim Trua Yiyelachem. It's a day of Trua. But what does Trua mean? So you look in Targum Unculus, in the Aramaic translation of Trua, it says Trua is Yivava. A Yivava. Okay, great. So what does Yivava mean? I don't know what Trua means, now I know it's Yevava, but what does Yevava mean? So Abaya references us to a Pasuk in Sefer Shoftim, in the book of Judges, in the Tanakh, in the Vim. Perik Hey. There's a story there about a king, Yavin Melechotzer, one of the Canaanite kings, who had a general, a commander-in-chief whose name was Sisra, who commanded 900 chariots, iron chariots, 900 troops of powerful, powerful military force. Sistra was an arch enemy of the Jewish people. There was a war that took place in Amek Israel between Sistra on one side and Dvoira on the other side, Dvoira and Barak on the Jewish side. The Jews triumph and Sistra, the commander-in-chief of Yavin's army, escapes. He escapes and who greets him, says the Pasuk, Yael. Yael is a woman from the Canaanite tribe. Sisra trusts her because there was peace, there was an alliance. He goes into Yael's tent. He goes into Yael's tent. He tells her he's thirsty. She gives him to drink milk. He tells her stand by the entrance of the tent. If anybody comes by and says, Ayesh Bayish, is any man here? Make sure tell them, Ayin, there's nobody here. And he falls asleep, deep in sleep, and Yael kills Sisra, saves the Jewish people. When Dvoira sings her shira to thank the Creator for a great victory, so Dvoira Hanaviyah describes one detail in the story that usually we would not pay note to. And that is Sisra's mother. In the words of Dvoira in Shreftim she says, Ba'ad ha'chaloin nishkefa. A woman stands by a window, gazing through the window. Vatiyavev aim Sisra. The mother of Sisra is Miyavev. Yivava. Vatiyavev. She groans, she moans, she cries, she weeps. Madua. Why is my son's chariot procrastinating? Madua. Why are the wheels of his wagon? So delayed. Ah, says Sisra. What was she doing by the window? Worried about her son. She wasn't laughing. She wasn't quelling. She was quetching. She was despairing. She was upset. She was dejected. From here we learn what Yevava means. So now we know what Kiyashoifer looks like. Just copy Sisra's mother. That's it you got to do. But now I have a question. What taka did Sisra's mother do by the window? Abaya offers two opportunities. Genuche ganach, yulule yalo. What do the mothers do when they don't know where Ronnie's rebels are at one in the morning? They stand by the window, or today it's by the cell phone, by the iPhone, texting. And what do they do? Vatiyave. But what does vatiyave mean? Does it mean genuche ganach or yulule yalo? Is it a sigh? Or is it a sob? We're not sure. 
Either sister's mother was standing by the window and doing one of these. Oy. Oy. Oy, God. Right? Or, oy, oy, Now you get it. We don't know. Maybe she did one. Maybe she did the other. Maybe she did both. Either she sighed or she sobbed or she sighed and she sobbed. And since we're not sure, so what do good Jews do? We don't want to choose the pancakes or the eggs or the bagels or the salad. We want everything. That's the way we do it. So therefore we want to groan, we want to sob, we want to groan and we want to sob. So here you have the whole structure of Tkiyah Shefra and Rosh Hashanah. There's always a Tkiyah before and after because before and after a true there's a Tkiyah as the Chazal learn out. Vavart Shefra has to be a Tkiyah before. But what is a true? I don't know. So I do everything. First I assume true is sighing and sobbing. So I do Tkiyah, Shvarim, true Tkiyah. Got it. Then maybe Trua means only, maybe she only saw it. Maybe she just stood by the window and said, Oh, so I do Tkia Shvarm Tkia three times. But maybe she only saw it. Maybe she was sitting and crying on the couch by the window. So I do Tkia Trua Tkia three times and I fulfill the divine commandment of Tkia Shaifan Rosh Hashanah. So now, my dear friends, let's understand this. Jews come to Shul and Rosh Hashanah to hear Shoifer all around the world. Jews who don't show up all year come Rosh Hashanah. And they listen to Shoifer, there's a sense of awe and majesty that envelop Jewish communities on this great day of the Yom Adin. And if somebody asks, Rabbi, who came up with all of these funny sounds? And the answer, of course, is Sisra's mother. Interesting, we're all trying to copy, copy and figure out what Sisra's mother did. For heaven's sake, here you have a Sisra, an arch enemy of the Jewish people. Okay, his mother was a mother, I have nothing against Sisra's mother. I mean, usually, I don't know, the apple sometimes falls far from the tree, sometimes it doesn't fall far from the tree. Depends if there's a Ruach Metsuya, Ruach Sheinah Metsuya. But maybe Sisra got his education uh, the way his mother gave it to him, as the Gemara says in Sukkah. Children tend to uh, uh, express what they hear in the homes of their parents. And the whole Tkiyah Shoifer is instituted around Sisra's mother's sobbing or weeping, or sobbing and weeping, or weeping instead of sobbing, or sobbing instead of, or sighing instead of weeping for her son. What's Pshat? How do we understand this? Oops. Okay. That's good. It's suitable to this. Yeah. Yeah. For the picture. A lot has been written and said on this subject. But today I want to share with you one insight that has been presented by the Chachmei Hanistar, particularly one of the great Mikubalim, who was known, he lived in the 16th century, he was known in the 17th century, he was known as Menachem Azaria of Fanu, from Italy. The Rameh Mipanu, he's known as. He has a safer, famous safer called Asara Mamoris. And in his Asara Mamoris, he discusses this, as well as the Megala Mukis, the Arizal, the Chidah, and some of the other great Chachmei Hanister. And they incredibly link up the story with a Gemara, in Mesechta Sanhedrin, of Samachvav, Zog the Gemara, Mibnei Bonov Shal Sisra Lomdu Torah Bibnei Brak. The descendants of Sisra learned Torah in the city of Bnei Brak. I'm not using this as a commentary to what happened in Bnei Brak last week. I'm just telling you a Gemara in Sanhedrin. Who was this? Who is this Mibnei Bonov? We don't know. But there's a sefer called Dikduke Seifrim which has different versions of 
Gemara text, many which were censored throughout the generations. And if you open a Dikduke Sofim Sanhedrin Samachvav, you'll see an insert. And the insert includes three words Umanu. Who was this descendant of Sisra learning Torah in Bnei Brak? And the answer in the Gemara in Sanhedrin is two words Rabbi Akiva. None other than Rabbi Akiva, about whom the Gemara says also in Sanhedrin, Kulu Aliba de Rabbi Akiva. The entire Torah Shabbat Peh that we have is all based on the Shitta, the lineage, the Machshava, the Hashkafa, the wisdom of Rabbi Akiva. He was a descendant of Sisra. Comes the Ramemi Panu and takes it a step further. The Gemara says in Masechta Nazir, the Chav Gimel, I think, Sometimes a sin for the sake of God is greater than a mitzvah, not for the sake of God. And who is the example of an Avera Shlishma? Yael. Because when you read the Psukim carefully, and you see how the Torah, the Nach, the Navi describes it, the Gemara says, it's obvious that Yael wasn't just a simple host. The way Yael got Sisra to relax, to drink milk, to get exhausted was by allowing sister to have relations with her. And the Gemara says in Yevamis, Sheva bi'ilois ba'ala oisei rasha. Sister had seven. There were seven experiences of intimacy between Sisra and Yael. And the Gemara goes through the psukim showing, intimating, each time there was intimacy that evening or that day between Yael and Sisra. No wonder he was so exhausted. And he says, give me something to drink. Eat some macy, I'm thirsty. She gives him milk instead of water. She covers him up with a blanket. The Gemara says, really? Is that really relevant to the story that she covered him with a blanket? Maybe she also put a teddy bear there. Maybe she gave him a Game Boy to go to sleep. She really covered him with a blanket. What if she covered him not with a blanket? So the Gemara, Shmi, Shmi, Kai, that God says, my name was here because it was an Avera Lishma. This is what saved literally the Jewish people from not just an anti-Semite, from an arch enemy who was, who was determined on destroying every last Jew. This is called an Avera Lishma. It's interesting, Stam, I just thought there was a Jewish woman, her name was Chrysler, and she developed, she was a great actress, unbelievable, beautiful person, and uh, she had a relationship with Hitler, and as a result of that, she got plans that she then gave to the British that helped them defeat, defeat Nazism. And it's fascinating that such a similar story to Yael in a different fashion, a different, happened also in the last generation. Chrysler. It's a fascinating story, but it's not for now. In any case, that's what the chaseyu bismicha zokterameme panu. The third, the third time they had intimacy, Sisra impregnated Yael. That baby that was born was the ancestry of Rabbi Akiva. That's where the two Gemaras connect. Mibnei Bonov shall Sisra, not Stam Sisra. Sisra with Yael in that story. Comes the Megala Amukas and says, Kedarka, everything is with Aremis, with Kabbalah. He says, that's why Sisra tells her, stand by the door and look. Yesh Poyish. He says, Yesh Poyish, the Gematri Rabbi Akiva. Yesh Poyish, there's Rabbi Akiva somewhere here, the Nitzutz. The seed, the spark of Rabbi Akiva is there. And if somebody asks you, Yesh Poyish, is there a man there which is Begamatria, Rabbi Akiva? Say in, not loy, because in in Aramaic means yes. And that's why, because the Gemara says in Brachas, Rabbi Akiva, when he was dying, you know, the story was saying Shema, and how many letters are in the first Pasuk of Shema? So, because Rabbi Akiva, and when he says, I'm thirsty, he says, he's missing the Echad, because the Echad belongs to Rabbi Akiva. And he goes through all of the Psukim, demonstrating how the Torah is referring to Rabbi Akiva, and that's why when the mother of Sisra is crying, says the Ramemi Panu something extraordinary. He says every mother in Tanakh is a metaphor for the mother of creation. The Shekhinah is called the mother, the mother, 
And the aim, the mother is on the chick shalach to shalach as The aim is the mother, the shechina, which is feminine. Shechina is not like Hakadosh Baruch Hu, which is masculine. Shechina is lashon is feminine. Is the mother? It's the mother of the cosmos, the mother of the universe, the mother of creation, the mother of humanity, the mother of the Jewish people. Rachel mevakal bonem ayanali nochem kienenu. The mother of Sisra represents the mother who consciously or subconsciously knows that her son has within him a priceless gift that is going to impact history. Who? Rabbi Akiva. Vatiyavev aim Sisra. You know why she was crying? She wasn't only crying on a biological level. Her son came home late and she wondered what happened. And the pastor continues that all of her friends says, What are you worried? Do you know how much booty Sisra fetched today from the Jewish people? Yichal kushalo. They're busy dividing all the booty from the war. That's why it's taking them late. Yichal kushalo. You know why? What's happening? What's happening is Rabbi Akiva's soul which is Kulu Ali with the Rebbe Akiva, the whole Shaz comes from Rebbe Akiva, is being transmitted. The mother of Sisra was worried. What was she worried? Perhaps her son was killed on the battlefield before he had a chance to be with Yael, and therefore the spark of Rebbe Akiva would be lost for eternity. That was the Vatiyavev. Perhaps the spark that she nurtured and she, her son had, might be squandered and lost and forfeited. That's why she groaned. Says the Ramemi Panu, you understand why the whole Kiya Shoifer is based on this? You understand? This is Kiya Shoifer. Kiya Shoifer is the Shechina, the mother, and the Jew sobbing, groaning. For what? For the spark in Sisra that may be lost. And he says further, Sisra was a Rosh Gomor, but in him, you had Rabbi Akiva. And if destiny would not develop the way it did, Rabbi Akiva would not be given to the world, it would not be Kulu Ali, but Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva is that individual, who after Churban by his shame, he stood up, and literally resurrected the Jewish people from the ashes, and secured Jewish eternity. And this might have been forfeited that moment. True as Yevava, is that spark being lost. That's why there's a Shvarim, that's why there's a Trua, because if you want to get that spark... And you think you could remain aloof, sublime, detached. I can't access that spark. I need the shvarim, I need the trua, which means I have to enter into the consciousness of the person, of the spark I'm trying to embrace. I have to feel the brokenness. I have to be able to feel the anguish. I have to be able to feel the tears. I have to enter into the world of that child, of that Rabbi Akiva, of that potential and be there with them in their fragmentation, because only then I can lift you up. When heard from the Tolner Rebbe, that a young man came over to him. Well, today he's not so young. He was young at one point, as is usually the case, I think. And he told him that, uh, I want to tell you a story about Yezayda, the Tolner Rebbe, Zechernel of Rocha. He says, I was learning, he lived in Bayit Vagan. He said, I was learning in a yeshiva in Bayit Vagan. And one evening, the mashgiach came into the yeshiva, and he threw me out. He threw me out. He says, Pak the pak You have no place there because of X, Y, and Z. So what do I do? It's after the night seder. I'm not allowed to stay in the dormitory. I have no place in this yeshiva anymore. So I knew there was an altiyid, the Tolner Rebbe was in his 80s. So he says, I went to the Tolner Rebbe. I knocked on his door. It was already later at night. He says, yeah, bacharel. So he says, mashgiach threw me out of yeshiva, night seder. I can't stay in the dormitory. Maybe you have an eitzah for me. 
He says, when did he throw you out? In the morning or at night? He says, no, just a little while ago I threw you out. He says, there's no buses anymore to go out of Bayad Vagan. Where does he expect you to sleep? He says, I don't know, that's my problem. He says, you mean he threw you out at night and he didn't think where you're supposed to sleep? Did he sponsor a taxi? You can be able to go to your parents? No, he just said leave. So he said, I can't figure this out. I have to go speak to the mashgiach. He says, come, it's already 11.30. It's almost 12. He puts on his, his, his kapote, his, his situk, his bekish, and he says, Kim, a guy, he's a man in his 80s, he wasn't a young, he, he was weak. And he goes with his bachel to the mashgiach. The bachel knew where he lived. And they're not going to do it. It's already chatzoy salayla. Mashgiach comes to the door, who is it? So he tells his name, Tolni Rebbe. He opens the door, he's already in pajamas. Mashgiach was already in pajamas. So, uh, what gives me the schus? The Tolni Rebbe comes to my house. So he says, I have a kasha. This bachet tells me that you threw him out tonight. The buses are not running anymore from Bayit Vagan. What was your machshava? Where is he supposed to sleep tonight? He says, there's a lot of actually. It's not my problem. He did what he did. He doesn't belong in this yeshiva. He says, I'm not discussing if you had a justification to throw him out or not. So I had to throw him out. But where do you want him to sleep tonight? And I don't understand something. I see you put on pajamas. That means you didn't fall asleep on the couch. You went to sleep with Hachon Rapsi. You went to sleep with Achoni. Probably went to the mikveh first. You did a long Krish Mishalamita. Maybe Tikkun Chatzois. Maybe you finished your shiur. I mean, you prepared. You prepared to go to sleep. Right? To give back your neshama to the Creator. So I want to understand what was going through your mind. You prepared to go to sleep when you threw out a boy who doesn't have a bed tonight. Just explain to me how you expected to fall asleep tonight when this boy doesn't have a bed. I heard from the Tolner, he says, to the credit of the Mashgiach, he said, you're right. I made a mistake. He said, okay, tachlis. <laughs> Boy needs a bed. Where is he supposed to sleep? He said, okay, let's try to think why he was thrown out, maybe. <laughs> so they started to talk why he was thrown out. Okay, sure, go back, you're fine. You're back in Yeshiva. So he tells today, the Tolner, I want you to know, that what I saw that night from your Zayda saved my entire spiritual, religious, and Jewish life. Because I cannot remain detached from a person going through Shvarim or true in any way. But Sisra, you say, he's a Sisra. You don't know what's contained in a Sisra. Sometimes Rabbi Akiva is contained in a Sisra if you allow the potential to emerge. However, before and after the Shvarim and the Trua, there has to be a Tkiah. Because if there's no Tkiah before or after, then we equally fail to fulfill our mission here. What does it mean there's a Tkiah before and after? It means we cannot look at a person, at a child, at a teenager, at one of our boys, at one of our girls, at ourselves, and just see brokenness. Oi, nebach, nebach, nebach. He didn't make it through the system. Black sheep of the family. Let's get Ronnie Cohen on the case because nobody can deal with this. You're not dealing. If that's your attitude, you're already lost. You're already lost in it. I have to look at my child and be able to see Tkia. Tkia is a wholesome sound, a sound of pshitus. We're all born with Tkia. Shvarim and Trua happens later. When you emerge from your mother's womb, you're a Tkia. You're wholesome, you're pure, you're innocent, you're confident, you're happy. You do cry. But you're confident in those in the Shmarim and true what happens later. I have to be able to look at a person and see their essential wholesomeness. I can't identify them as a groan and a sob. 
I can't identify them as a broken keli. I can't identify them as a tragic nebach case of brachmonis. I can't identify them as a lost soul in the wilderness and I need to bring in the trauma, the trauma experts to save these souls. I have to be able to look and see that essential goodness and purity and wholesomeness at the core of his or her soul, which can never be obliterated or destroyed because a neshama is a chelek eleikam imal mamish, and it remains that way, and no mistake, no sin in the world can obliterate that quality of the soul as a piece of Hashem. Just like nothing can shatter or destroy Hashem kevayochel, nothing can destroy the core of a chelek eleikam imal of a neshama. You begin with tkiah. Once you begin with tkiah, now you can go into the shmarim and the truah, and then produce a tkiah gdoila, which comes only after the shvarim and the truah. Because the tkiah that comes before the shvarim and the truah is just innocence. The innocence and wholesomeness that is created by working with our brokenness and by raising up by, by taking the broken fragments of luchos shniyos, shivrei luchos monachim ba'aren, that tkiah is a much deeper tkiah. It's the tkiah that comes not from denial, not an innocence that is naive, but from a wholesomeness that has to really work through a lot of anger, a lot of resentment, a lot of pain, a lot of agony, a lot of depression, a lot of challenges, a lot of doubts, a lot of cynicism and so forth. I heard a misa once, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you frankly, I'm not sure I understand the story, but I like the story. And sometimes things you don't understand... Are, are actually more clear than things you understand because you realize that you can't wrap your brain around it. So there was one Sayyid who came to the Heilike Ruzhiner, Rabbi Shlom Ruzhiner, and he says, Rabbi, I have an issue with you. I see, you know, the Ruzhiner was Malchus, everything was royal, aristocratic, but the Ruzhiner was Malchus. He says, people come, they give you kvitlach, they give you money. It's a money, it's a business. Your business. I don't like this. I can't, I can't pledge allegiance to you or your system or your courtyard or your Torah. Ruzhina was a Kaddish and he was from Tzadiki Hadar. This is what he says. It's all money. What are you taking money from people? So the Ruzhina says, I'm going to tell you a mice. I'm going to tell you a mice. There was once a schnorrer. You know what a schnorrer is? Guy who has a PhD from Harvard in fundraising. And he was a quintessential schnorrer. In other words, not like Ronnie Cohen. He knew how to do it. You know, there was a guy on 13th Avenue the other day in Borough Park, Azoy. Azoy, with a cigarette with his hand down. Guy walks by, it's Doc, it's Docker. Guy says, She says, Go get a job. <laughs> I work hard. You should work hard. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was a real, real snorter, and he, you know, he made a good parnasa. You know, if you know the right times, right places, right people, you know, remember, no taxes, it's a machai. So, uh, this guy was a professional snorter, and he made a very nice living, very nice living. He had a gewaldike maila, and that is, he was nebach, physically he was blemished. He was missing a few fingers, he was hunchback, he had a lid. His face was deformed. So people had rachmanes. Every child that was born, he made sure to deform him. Epsazets in the nose, azets in the eye, a big cut in his hand. His wife says, what's this to? She says, I got to guarantee him a parnosa. <laughs> if he's not going to be deformed, he won't have rachmanes. Eight children. Everyone, right when they were born, trach, trach, trach. Before the bris, after the bris, he made sure the kid had a conspicuous blemish to secure a dignified and favorable livelihood as a respected member of the community. The last child was born, the ninth child. A beauty, a beauty, a malachal. And he was, came with his hammer, he was about to do the avoider of teaching him a trade early on. His wife comes to him and says, Ich bet rachmanes, such a beautiful kid, such an angelic body. 
loves him up. He says, it's going to be very irresponsible of me. He needs a panasa. I beg you, let him find another panasa. Let him become a doctor. Nah, that's not a panasa. You got to learn, you got to do so. It's not a panasa, it's not respectable. Do me a favor. I need to help my kids. I'm a responsible father. I'm not like you, a hefke mama. She begs, pleads, rachmonis. Okay, for his wife's sake, what don't you do for your wife? You love your wife. He doesn't hurt his child. Doesn't deform it. Kid grows up. Unbelievable. Angelic beauty. Okay, father gets old. It's time for him to write his tava. He feels he's going to leave the world. And you know, from all the years of shnoning, he made, he accumulated a very nice panosa. He had stacked up in his pillowcases hundreds and thousands of dollars. So his tzava, he leaves all the money to the youngest son. The kids read the tzava, they come and say, I don't understand. We're all deformed. We get nothing. This kid, this perfect kid gets everything. What's shot? He says, listen, you all have a parnosa. Avdekin is a Rachmanus. This is a Rachmanus case. So therefore I had to take care of him. You I took care of years ago. I deformed you. Look how ugly you are. Look how horrible you are. Look how meshuga you look. Look how nebach you look. You're all taking care of the community with have Rachmanus on you. This guy nebach is a perfect kid. Ostet man. So I had to leave him the Yerusha. I'm sorry. The Yerusha looked at this man and said, That child, does is mere. I'm not sure I understand the story. But it made me think. It made me think about what he was saying. And it made me think about the definition of perfection versus imperfection. From the Shvarim and the Trua comes the Tkiyah Gdoyla that could never be experienced without the Tkiyah. It's very easy in our community to look at certain children and say, let them go. They didn't make it through the system. They're not going to graduate yeshiva with honors. They're not going to end up not in Brisk, and not even in the Mir, and not in Ponovich, and not even in Slabotka, and not in Chevron. And they're not going to have their four, three or two years in Lakewood. And I don't know about their Shaduchim. They're 16, and things happen. Seven, okay. Baruch Hashem, it's a family of six kids. Five of them are success stories, right? And one of them knew. Eight of them are success stories. One of them knew. Fine, you always have that. But on Rosh Hashanah, the whole structure of Tkiyah Shoifer was this organization. The whole Tkiyah Shoifer was, there's a Nitzutz in Sisra that might be lost. And these kids are no Sisras. But there's even a Nitzutz in Sisra that might be lost and the Shechina Hagdosha is weeping and sobbing. Don't allow these sparks to get lost because Rabbi Akiva is there. And if Rabbi Akiva is there, you're depriving me and the world and history of their light, of their depth, of their majesty. Who's there? Rabbi Akiva is there. Why Rabbi Akiva? Why Rabbi Akiva Dafka? Akiva is Oisios Yaakov. Rabbi Akiva says the Arizal was a nitzutz of Yaakov. The Gemara says in Chulim, Yaakov had a dream. You remember the dream? He saw a ladder. They're going up and they're going down. The Malachim are going up and down. Why are they going up and down? They were bored. The rabbi was giving a sermon. Why were they going up and down? So the Gemara they were going up and looking at Yaakov's image above. They were coming down and looking at Yaakov's image below. What does that mean? What does it mean Yaakov has two images and they're going up and down looking at his image above and below? One of the answers, my dear friends, is very simple and very profound. Every single person has two images. There's your image above and there's your image below. Your image above is... What you're capable of looking like. Your image below is what you look like in reality. 
Henry Kissinger writes in his memoirs that the last night of Nixon's presidency, the night before he resigned because of Watergate, he would have been impeached, but Richard Nixon resigned. So he stayed in the White House very late. And when he left, he stood in front of a portrait of John F. Kennedy, who was Nixon's eternal rival. And he starts speaking to Kennedy, who was dead 10 years. And he says, John F. Kennedy, why does America love you? And why does America despise me? Because Kennedy was loved, he's still loved for some mysterious reason, and Nixon was always hated. Why do they love you? Why do they hate me? And they said, John, I'll tell you the reason. When they look at you, they see what they would like to be. When they look at me, they see what they are. <laughs> Every person has two images. There is your image below. When the Rebbeinu Shalom created you, what did he have in mind? I once heard an educator tell somebody, you know, I'm impressed by you. You wake up in the morning, you look in the mirror, and you still choose to come outside. Very inspiring, no? When God created you, when He created you, what was He thinking? Some of you are successful people. You created companies in your life. When you created that company in your mind or on paper, what were you thinking? You were thinking about a tremendous profit, about a tremendous success story. Whether it was a yeshiva, an organization, a company, a movement, a website, a shul, a str- any structure you had in mind, success. You know it comes with failures and ups and downs, but you had something in mind. Says the Balatanya, when we cooked of the neshama from Ayid, that when cooking of the neshama, we estate in machshava hakduma the adam kadmat. Forgive the Kabbalistic intimations, but I'll tell you what he means simply. When you look at a soul of a Jew, a soul of a child, your child and yourself, any child, you have to be able to see them from God's perspective. What was he thinking when he made this soul? What did he see in this person? If you cannot see the person from that perspective, you and I cannot be there for the person the way we're capable of being for the person. I have to be able to see your image above and then your image below. My image above is who I was meant to be, who I'm capable of being, what I was called on to be. My image below is what I am in actuality. In most people's lives, the two images don't match. By Yaakov Avinu, they went up and down, up and down. You know why? For the first time they saw somebody whose image above and image below Matched. They say there was once a camel, a baby camel, who turned to its mother and said, Mommy, Echabakasha. Of course, ask your question. Says, Mommy, why is it that all these animals are so handsome? And we have these three toed feet. Each one of our feet has three ugly big toes. Why? So, Mother says, I'll tell you why. Because we're not regular animals. We're made to travel. You know that we're capable of trekking thousands of miles through the Sahara Desert? We need three big, fat, ugly toad legs to be able to walk so long, for so long. Wow, Gvaldik. Mom, I have another kasha. Why these weird, ugly, long eyebrows, eyelashes? Oh, you think you walk through the Sahara Desert thousands of miles? It's simple. There are sandstorms. You want to be blinded? So God created these eyelashes and these eyebrows to protect us from the sandstorms as we trek thousands of miles through deserts. Mother, one more question. Why these grotesque humps? Why can't we just have nice, flat, geschmacke backs? Why do we camels have to have these strange humps? <laughs> My little daughter, let me explain to you something. When you're trekking thousands of miles from one side of the planet to the other side of the planet, where are you getting water? You're going to dehydrate. You're going to die from thirst. So the Rebbeinu Shalom gave us these humps so we can absorb enormous quantities of water, store them in our humps, and then travel thousands of miles, healthy, robust, wholesome, without starvation, without dehydration. Psst, She's quiet for a few minutes. And then she says, Mama, I have a fourth question. We have three toad legs to trek thousands of miles. We have big eyelashes and eyebrows to protect us from sandstorms as we trek thousands of miles. We have huge humps because we're made to trek thousands of miles and that's our greatness and that's our potential. So what in the world are we doing in a zoo in the cage? That's the question I have to ask myself. That's the question I want my child to be able to ask himself or herself. When you know your demuzdiyoy knoy 
Now look at your Dmuz Lamata. But if I don't know my Dmuz Lamaila, if I think I'm garbage, if I think I'm a tragedy, if I think I'm a shmata, I'm a loser, I'm a nerd, I'm worthless, I'm meaningless, I'm inconsequential, I didn't make it, I was the worst in the class, I failed every test throughout elementary school, throughout Masifta, high school based Medrash. I'm a that belong to the dumps. If that's my attitude, how can I allow Rabbi Akiva, Oisius Yaakov, to emerge? I'm going to lose a Rabbi Akiva. Who is Rabbi Akiva? Rabbi Akiva, the Gemara says in Menachas Dav Chavtes, that Moshe Rabbeinu saw him in the future. And he told God, why are you giving the Torah through me? Give it to him. Because he went for a shear. And he couldn't understand what Rabbi Akiva said because of the depth in the Gemara says in Menachas Chavtes that when Moshe came up to Arsinai, Hashem was writing a Sefer Torah. And he wrote on the Sefer Torah those Tagim, you know the Tagim, the Kaitzin, on seven letters you have those three little Zions on top of them, right? Those little points, they look like little thorns, like little Zions that go up. And Moshe said, who is this for? Who understands these strange signs in the Sefer Torah? And he said, there's going to be a man, Akiva ben Yosef, Al kol koitz v'koitz, osid lidrash tilei tilim shal halachas. On every one of these little koitz and these little thorns, he's going to build up mountains of halachas. What's pshat? So one of the meanings here is koitz doesn't only mean a little tag, a little line. Koitz means what? A thorn. You know what Rabbi Akiva's greatness is? Rabbi Akiva lived in a time when the Jewish people were pierced with Roman thorns day in and day out. He himself fell victim to the execution of Adrian the Caesar barbarically, as the Gemara says in Baruch HaSamachalaf. What was Rabbi Akiva's response? Every thorn that pierced, that penetrated the body of the Jewish people, what did he do with it? He built another mountain of Allah. That was Rabbi Akiva's response. The thorns he used as a catalyst, as a springboard, to create a rejuvenation, an unprecedented renaissance in the consciousness of his people and of his faith. Kulu alipa de Rabbi Akiva. For 40 years, he was thrown out of every yeshiva. You know that? You know Rabbi Akiva tried out every yeshiva. He was in Flatbush in nine yeshivas. They sent him to Munsi. They sent him to Borough Park, to Flatbush, to Yisrael, to Yerushalayim, to Bnei Brak. They sent him here and there. At the age of 40, <laughs> there's nothing to do. He became a shepherd. He became a shepherd. That's what he did. The Gemara says in Pesachim, Daphmem Test, Rabbi Akiva told his students, you know what he told them? When I was an Amoritz, if you would give me a Talmud Chachm, you know what I would do? I would bite him like a donkey. Why like a donkey, not like a dog? Classic Gemara question. So the Gemara says, because one bites and doesn't break your bones. The other one bites and breaks your bones. So I wouldn't bite him like a dog. I'd bite him like a donkey, like a chamar. Frektoismus, right there. The Gemara says in Ksuvis that Kalbus Savua's daughter Rachel saw that he was an Amarid, but he was Edel. Edel of people bite like donkeys. They bite like donkeys. That's Edelkeit. She swaps refinement. And he says, Rabbi Akiva didn't hate Tamidich Chachamim because he was not an idol person. He hated Tamidich Chachamim because he felt they were obnoxious. They were obnoxious. And they would deprive him from his potential. That's an unbelievable psychological insight of Toysvis. He didn't hate them because he was a very idol person. But Rabbi Akiva had in his psyche the unconscious knowledge that he is the one who's going to change the Jewish world. And nobody ever let him. Nobody ever let him bring it out. Imagine frustrated potential is the greatest. Frustrated potential is probably psychologically the profoundest cause for hatred. You got that? I heard that's my mother-in-law. Not sure. <laughs> frustrated potential, especially when you don't know about it. If you have potential and you know about it, at least you could talk about it to your therapist or to Ronnie Cohn for free. <laughs> but if you have frustrated potential and you don't even know about it, so it simmers in the unconscious layers of your psyche and your clues, but you just know that you're not being you. Your image above is dying as your image below is such a poor, impoverished match. I'm locked up in a cage when I'm capable of trekking thousands of miles and having such an impact on the world. That was Rabbi Akiva. And there was one girl, her name was Rachel. And Rachel looked at this shepherd and she said, 
This is the man. He came with no smichas, with no approbations. He had no websites, no resumes, no koil halosha, no shit. Nothing. He was a shepherd. And she identified him and she said two words. Four words. You want to marry me? <laughs> and he's like, okay, wow. She says one condition. You got to go learn. Because I know who you are. You don't know who you are, but I know who you are. Why do you think she sent him away 12 years? Really? That's an interesting marriage. I mean, many of you would wish your wife would do that, wouldn't you? <laughs> go learn 12 years in yeshiva. Sure. Just go. Don't even come back. And the Gemara says in Kisuvah Samachabes, he came back after 12 years, and you know what he heard her telling somebody? I wish he would do it another 12 years. He doesn't even go in to say hi. He goes right back. The wish of so many Jewish men today. Sure, if you're away 24 years, why shouldn't you love each other? And remember, there was no texting then. So I was like, when you're coming home, when you're coming home, you, you said you'll be home. <laughs> 24 years was 24 years. Chaim Shmulevich Zatzal asks, why didn't Rabbi Akiva go in to say hi to his wife? Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Go in and say hi to your wife, then go back. So he classically said, the Mirror Rosh Hashiva, suitable for the Mirror Rosh Hashiva, said, I'll have to say it in the Litvish Yiddish, as he said it, Val mol is nicht In other words, learning 12 years twice with a break in the middle is not learning 24 years straight. He used to say this before Beit Azmanen, that the break is already redefines the process. But there's a deeper re- there's another reason, I should say. And the other reason is because Rabbi Akiva really cherished his wife. It wasn't about him, it was about her. And he knew where does she want him. She wants him that night learning. And he comes back with 24,000 students. Shaliv shalachem. Shalom. That's the nitzutz. That's the spark of Kiyah Shoifer. In Sisra. You're looking at this kid. You're looking at this girl. Nobody has good what to say about them. And I want you to know that if you're not by Tkiya Shoifer, going to blow a sound of belief in this child, and then go into his or her brokenness, and then sob with them, and then come out with a Tkiya Gdoila, with her awesome wholesomeness, Sister's mother is crying for this spark that has been forfeited. For this Yaakov, for the Dmuzdi Yoiknoi Shal Yaakov, that has not been realized. And thus, finally, we come back to the Gemara with Shimon HaTzadik. You remember? You remember Shimon HaTzadik? For the ADHDs, come back. The donuts, okay? Come back. Shimon HaTzadik is the Kayin Gadol. He's the leader of the Jewish people. The Gemara says that 40 years of his tenure, a Gemara in Yuma, 40 years of his tenure, the, smoke, the wind never, never extinguished the flames on the Mizbeach. Never did it happen that the Goyrul Hashem should come up on the left side. Never did it happen that the scarlet red string on the goat should not turn white. Never did it happen that the western lamb, the Neir Amaravi, should be extinguished. Shemun HaTzadik represented a spiritual high in Jewish history. But towards the end of his life, what's the expression? It's not dark yet, but it's getting there. He saw that darkness is enveloping the Jewish world. He is the one who met Alexander the Great, Alexander of Macedonia. Hellenism was trying, starting to take over the Jewish world through Alexander, through the Greek Empire. 150, 200 years later would be the whole Hanukkah story as a result of the tremendous Hellenism that dist- almost completely destroyed the Jewish people, if not for the Hashemunayim. Shimon HaTzadik saw the clouds coming. And he wondered, maybe he is the last generation of real, the real celebration of Judaism as Am Hashem. But every year on Yom Kippur, he went into Kodesh HaKadoshim. There's Kodesh HaKadoshim in space, there's Kodesh HaKadoshim in time, and there's Kodesh HaKadoshim in people. There's the Kodesh HaKadoshim in space, on the Harabayas. There's Kodesh HaKadoshim in time, Yom Kippur. There's Kodesh HaKadoshim in people. The part of you that is Kaidash HaKadoshim. Everyone has that. On Yom Kippur, the three converge. And when he went into the Holy of Holies, he saw an old man in white. Who is this old man? The Gemara says in Psachim, Yisrael Sava. Yisrael Sava is the ancient man, the ancient 
representative of Jewish history, Yaakov Avinu, Vayikir Lekele Lekei Yisrael, Yisrael Sava, the ancient spirit of Knesset Yisrael, and Shemin HaTzadik saw it was completely white. And all of his pessimistic thoughts vanished. Because he realized that when you go into the Kedush HaKadoshim, things are white, they're not black, they're not dark. And he came out from the Kedush HaKadoshim with a new vigor, with an invigorated faith in the future of his students, in the future of his people, in the future of the Am Hashem. Aye, there were pessimistic thoughts, true. But when he went into the Holy of Holies, when he explored and revealed the quintessential neshama of the Jew, the Kodesh HaKadoshim in space, time and spirit, he saw the whiteness, he saw the oil, he saw the glow, he came out with a fresh new perspective, invigorated and inspired. One year, he walks into the Holy of Holies of Yom Kippur, and he sees that the old man is dressed in black. What he now sees is that his people seem so dark, so bleak. Their future, their future, so impoverished. What he looks, and when he looks now, this time he sees that this Yisrael Sava, representing ancient Jewish history has a dark future. So he turns to his students and he says, this year I'm going to die. They say, how do you know? He says, because every year I saw white. This year I saw black. Do you understand what Shimon HaTzadik is saying? This is not superstition. This is not some mystical abstract connection. This is probably one of the most important ideas about parenting, about education, about what type of home you want to create for your children, for your grandchildren, for your Talmidim, for your community members. Shemenat Sadik was telling his students, let me tell you the first rule about being a leader, a Rebbe, a Rav, a Rosh Hashiva, a Mashgiach, a Mashpia, a father, a mother, a Zayda, a Baba, a Malamed, a therapist, a social worker, a community leader. The first rule is this. If, if you walk into the Holy of Holies, you look at your kinderlach, and what you see is blackness, what you see is darkness, what you see is a bleak future, then you must know that it's time for you to give up the throne of leadership and give it to somebody else. The first, the first prerequisite the first quality a teacher, a leader must have is, I have to be able to look at my generation, I have to be able to look at my people, and see their potential light, their potential glow. I have to be able to see if I can't look at my teenager, if I can't look at my girl, at my boy, at my bachel, at my child, at whether he's 20 or 30 or 17 or 14, whether he's here or there or she's there or there. And I can't see in them that essential whiteness, that essential light, that essential goodness, wholesomeness, confidence, happiness, sanctity, and vacuous with Hashem, then I am not capable of being a Kohen Gadol. I have to tell my Talmidim, my time is up, it's time for somebody else to take my position, because I have lost my ability and therefore my rights to be able to educate, to be able to inspire this generation. The first thing I have to be able to see is, Wow, look how white, look how beautiful, look how much goodness, look how much depth there is in this neshama. Then I can go into the shvarim, and then I can go into the trua, and I'm not afraid, because I know I'm going to come back with a tkiah. I'm going to come back with a wholesome tkiah. I am moved to be here this morning, because my dear beloved friend Ronnie and all of his partners in crime or in uh, positive revolution blow shoifer not only on Rosh Hashanah every morning they wake up and they take a shoifer and they blow four sounds tkia, shvarim true tkia when a child walks in to one of these clubs, one of these places he or she is welcomed he is welcomed with a tkia a tkia means I celebrate you. I like you. You're good. God created you. He loves you. There's something in you that is awesome. That's, that's first. We're not, 
beyond everything, there's something in you that is awesome. And nothing you have done or you will do can cause Hashem to say, you are garbage, I hate you, I don't like you, you're worthless. It doesn't work that way. That's the first prerequisite. And you think children don't know this, they don't feel this, they are sensitive to this beyond what any of us imagined. Even we, old cynics, who are already addicted to food for so many years, are sensitive to people who believe in us or people who don't believe in us. Every one of you knows people you look at and you get a good feeling, you want, I want to hang around this person, this is somebody I want as a mentor, and this is somebody... <clears throat> you know, I'll give an $18 check. I once read a biography, Gavaldic. I don't know how many of you are into uh, symphonies. There was an Italian conductor. His name was Arturo Toscanini. He died in 1957, I believe. He was a brilliant composer and a brilliant director of symphonies, photographic memory, and his sensitivity to nuance in music was absolutely incredible. And he had a biographer who for many years was writing a biography of Toscanini's life. And he calls him up one day and he says, can I come over to you to interview tonight? He says, today I'm busy and I can't be disturbed because I have to concentrate for hours. He says, what are you doing, Toscanini? He says, I used to conduct a symphony overseas. And tonight they're playing. They're playing a symphony and I couldn't make it there. So I gave it over to another director. And through shortwave radio, I'm going to listen to it. I want to see how he does. And how they do. But I can't be disturbed. No question. He says, may I come and watch you listen to this symphony directed by another conductor? He says, you can come if you don't say a word and don't ask questions and don't make comments like you usually do. Just listen. He says, granted, I agree. And he comes over and the, right, the time comes and Toscanini puts on the shortwave radio that was arranged before and he listens for a few hours to his symphony overseas directed by another conduct, by another director with so much concentration the biographer says with every fiber of his being, he was attuned. He was attuned to every note that was being played. And the symphony finishes. And the biographer looks at Toscanini and innocently says, Wow, that was masterful, wasn't it? Toscanini says, Not really. He's like, What do you mean? He says, They were supposed to have 120 musicians, including 15 violinists, and only 14 showed up. He thought he's in Gansin, Michigan. You were listening to shortwave radio, and you know that 14 violinists showed up instead of 15? Of course. He didn't want to argue with Toscanini, who was an eccentric, as most great artists. But the next day, it's a chrish gefault, he wasn't lazy. The next day, he takes a telephone, he calls up the director overseas, and he says, I have a kasha. I have a question. How many musicians were supposed to show up last night? And how many showed up? He says, 120, including 15 violinists, and only 14 violinists showed up. He goes back to Tuscanini, he says, Yilmedenu Rabbeinu. You gotta explain something to me. How in the world, sitting on a couch, listening to shortwave radio, for heaven's sake, 119 musicians instead of 114. It's not shot there was no violin, and you got it, right? There were 14 violinists. So there was plenty of violin going on. There was one violinist missing. How did you notice? He says, that's the difference between you and me. You're sitting in the audience. I'm the director. And in this case, the composer. I know that every note has to be played. We needed 15 violinists to meet every note, to play out every note. I knew that some notes were missed. And I knew that a violin was missing. And when I read this story, I thought to myself, that is Tkia Shvarim Trua Tkia. In Shulchan Aruch Simen Tavkov Tzadik, you have a whole thing. How long the Tkia has to be? How many Truas? How many Shvarim? Really? And what if you do? Do, 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 and big, you're not Yaitza. You know, there's people, the Shtarkim Achmun, they listen to Tkia Shreifer 200 times Rosh Hashanah. Because nobody's good enough. This guy took a breath. This guy didn't take a breath. This guy did too long, too short. This Hever, I know a whole Rosh Hashanah, they're miserable. 
they're listening over to Tkiyas. They go out to the hallways and the shuls. They go to the basements. They run to the Bachvezvu. But they... Why? <laughs> you know such people, right? Okay. <laughs> now, sometimes you've got you to listen to Tkiyas Shafer again if the guy doesn't really know what he's doing because the halachas are somewhat complicated. But what's really going on? What's going on is that if you're in the audience, you don't get it. But if you're the director... Never mind if you're the composer. One note was missed. And if one note was missed, then Rosh Hashanah didn't happen. Then Kiyashoifa didn't happen. And that child is that note. That sister is that note. It's Rabbi Akiva's note. Really, you're going to abandon Rabbi Akiva? And that's why we're privileged to be part today of an organization that when a child comes in, they blow Tkia. I believe in you. And now I want to listen to your sighs, Shvarim. And now I'm going to sob with you, Trua. And I'm not afraid of addressing your pain and allowing to look at your wounds honestly because I know that together we will be able to create from your Shvarim and from your Trua the most beautiful, awe-inspiring, universally promising note of the Tkiyagdaila. Until the great Tkiyagdaila What's the next sentence? To see if my drasha was right or wrong. How do we know it's going to be a shayfar gadol? What's the next sentence? Here you have the mission statement of your tkiya shayfar. Think about it. Asher comes from the word ashrei, oisher, fortune. I usher. Mitzrayim comes from the word Mitzar, distress. There are those who are lost, Be'eretz Ashur. And there are those who are cast away, Be'eretz Mitzrayim. There are those who are lost from Ashur. And there are those who are lost from Mitzrayim. And together, V'yishtachavu la'ashem, Bahara Kodesh B'Yerushalayim, B'mheira B'yameinu. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.